0: following is a recording of a sermon given at all saints lutheran church in ottawa canada for additional messages and more information visit allsaintslutheran.ca. hello everyone this is pastor Allen of all saints lutheran church bringing you the message for september the 27th 2020. we're continuing our series in the gospel of mark which i've entitled the remarkable gospel and uh, this week we are continuing a section in Mark where Jesus has been teaching in the temple. It's just a few days before he'll be arrested. And his words are bringing an upheaval. He actually upheaved, if that's a word, the the tables of the money changers, people buying and selling, crowding out the court of the gentiles in the temple and and this signified much of what he's doing in the hearts of uh, or trying to do in the hearts of the people that he's teaching and continuing to teach us through this remarkable gospel of mark uh, we're going to be looking at a chapter continue to look at chapter 12 we're going to be looking at chapter 12 verses 18 through 27 and this upheaval that he's bringing is he's he's actually seeking to make major adjustments in people's thinking and i trust as we go through this today we too will be challenged to hear what he's saying to us as he continues to prepare us for the things that we're facing it we don't know everything about why mark wrote what he wrote at the time that he wrote it he was likely to writing down the message of the story of jesus that he heard peter say many many times and what i've been seeing as i've been studying this magnificent book that while he is noting things that jesus actually said and did they're given to us in the way that they're given to us for or to the original hearers and and readers because of of the situation that they were in and and the things that the they were facing and going are going to be facing. We're li- we live in very different times, but we're facing our challenges, and we need to hear what God is saying to us today to be prepared for what He wants us to do and what He wants us to be. And I trust there'll be something of what I'll be sharing in this message that's going to make a difference in our hearts. And so what I'll do is I'm going to read uh from chapter, I'm going to read chapter 12, starting at verse 18, which is the section that we're going to be doing today, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, taking us down to verse 44, but we'll be focusing today only on 18 through 27. So this is again Mark chapter 12, 18 through verse 44. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife." Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the, books of Mo, in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living." You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How could the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's our nourishment. We thank you that you, in your grace and love, don't just let us go our own way, but you you turn us in your right direction. We thank you too that you've not left us to try to work this out on our own, but you've given us your Holy Spirit to enable us to live the life that you want us to live. Help us to hear you today. Help us to receive all that you have for us today. Make clear your, the way ahead of us in the way that you want us to walk in it. Please, Lord, We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's go back to verse 18. It says, And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, And before we get into the question, I want to talk about the Sadducees. So the Sadducees were the ruling class. The fancy word for that is aristocracy. They were the ruling class of priests in Jerusalem. They weren't, um, they weren't ruling priests. They were priests that made up the ruling class. There was no other ruling class in, in Israel uh, apart from you know, the, the Romans who were in charge. But in terms of the Jewish society uh, that was being controlled by the Roman oc- uh, occupation, it was these priests who were the ruling class headquartered in Jerusalem. The Sadducees probably arose around the 2nd century B.C., and they were made up of the priests, but not all priests were Sadducees. So there were priests, descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. Uh, In Hebrew, it's kohenim. One priest is a Kohen. That's where the Jewish name Kohen, C-O-H-E-N, comes from, one of the most uh, common Jewish names, and it means priest. And so there were priests scattered all throughout the land. Uh, most of them were not wealthy. Uh, they were teachers and legal experts that the people would go to to help them with their with with their lives. Um, and a high a highlight of their lives would be when they would get a turn to go to the temple and to serve there for a time. We see that in the story of uh, Zechariah in in um, Luke chapter one. He was John the baptizer's father. And he had his turn to go to, to the temple to, to serve. There were some of the priests, uh, the more important ones, that made up this party, uh, this group uh, called Sadducees. The word Sadducee in Hebrew is Tzedukim, from the word Sedek, meaning righteous. So they were called the righteous ones. But it, their name might have been derived from the high priest in King David's time. And his name, we say it in English kind of English, Zadok. In Hebrew, it's tzedok, derived from the word tzedek, meaning righteous. So we don't know if they actually thought of themselves as the righteous ones, or if it was a coincidence with this name, but they were trying to connect themselves with a high point of the priesthood going back to David's time. They're often contrasted with the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, were not a ruling class. They were a, a popular movement of very committed uh, religious Jewish people. Sometimes we think of them as the Orthodox Jews, uh, but they were, I've called them through this this series and I refer to them as the Keeners. They were the ones that were trying to do it by the book, when actually they were adding to the book uh, because they also added their own traditions, Um, and often their their traditions were based on what they thought would be uh, a more extreme faithfulness. But extreme good isn't, isn't necessarily good, because God wants us to follow his word in the way that he intends us to follow it and not add uh, extra, extra to it in thinking that we're better, better serving him because, because we're doing that. And that was the kind of trap the Pharisees uh, fell into. Uh, but their ways of thinking were very similar to uh, how Jesus understood God and, and the Bible, and, um, and there, so there were many things that they got right. And uh, there were Pharisees uh, who made up some of the believers later on. Paul himself comes from the the Pharisees. But unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Torah, the five books of Moses. They only regarded those five books as the authoritative uh, word of God. They rejected the idea that the rest of the Bible, especially the Hebrew prophets, uh, were authoritative. Um, And that that somewhat relates to what's what's going on here in in this story and this challenge that they they give to Jesus. And so one of the things that they rejected was the concept of resurrection. As far as they were concerned, uh, death was the was the end of life. Once you died, you went to the grave. That's where you stayed and decayed. That's what they thought. Um, now, when when we think about this concept of resurrection, uh, we tend to think of it as an an isolated Theological point. We we recite the Apostles' Creed and we say uh, that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so when we say that, we disagree with the Sadducees who did not believe in, in the resurrection. But when we think of the resurrection, we think of it as something that is a a personal concern to us, maybe to our loved ones, or in a a discussion about life after death. So you have a discussion with with other people, do do you believe in life after death, yes or no, and if you do, what's that supposed to be like, And, and all the rest of it. But in first century Israel, this was far more, the topic of the resurrection was a far more loaded issue. It's not just about what happens to you and me as individuals. While it has serious personal implications, do we live after we die? The question of the resurrection was all about God's great restoration plan for Israel and the whole world. The writings of the Hebrew prophets, whose authority the Sadducees rejected, speak about God's return to the people of Israel in power making Jerusalem the center of his worldwide plan and filling the earth with his glory. The resurrection of the dead was a core concept of a complete transformation when God's rule over his entire creation would be fully and finally established. So therefore, resurrection, when resurrection is talked about, it stood for more than just do you believe that? there's life after death, it stood for what we could call recreation. The scriptures make it clear that the way things were and the way things are is going to change dramatically and completely. Such an idea was an affront to the corrupt authority of the Sadducees because they benefited from how the way things were at that time. And they were in cahoots with the Romans. They made deals with the Romans to stay in power. They benefited financially through this temple system in the way that it was and, and partly because of the deal that they made with the, with the occupying power of the Romans. And so any idea of God coming to do a great transformation, that was an, an affront, and a, a challenge, something that they didn't want. They were the last people on earth that would that would want to conceptualize, conceive of, um, allow to brew among the people the idea that God was going to change everything. So it's no wonder that they rejected the notion of resurrection altogether, as well as the bulk of Scripture that seemed to support such an idea. And so the idea of resurrection among the people um, would would be threatening to them and should such a thing happen they were the ones who stood to lose the most which is exactly what happened to them now of course we haven't experienced the the resurrection but but some of what jesus is teaching is in this section in mark is preparing the people for what would happen a few decades later when the temple would be destroyed the temple system would be finished um, and uh, the priesthood remain just would remain just as a symbol and a memory. and the party of the Sadducees, which were the more the the, the higher up priests, the the this a- aristocracy, they would be completely wiped out and become completely irrelevant. That's where things were going. And so this is all to say to ask about or to challenge rather Jesus over this issue of resurrection, has, is all wrapped up in who they are and the position they have, and also the their their drive to make sure that the people keep committed to the way things are. So now let's look at the the, the challenge they put at the Lord, verse 19 and and following, teacher or or rabbi. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife and leaves no child, the man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. This is something very strange to our ears. Verse 20, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection if there is one. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. So the Sadducees thought that they found this logical inconsistency with a concept of resurrection, given that God through Moses had commanded a certain arrangement. And that arrangement, what we call that is the concept of the kinsman redeemer, and it's from Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 10. You can look it up. I'm not going to take the time to read it here. What this comes from is the idea of the kinsman redeemer from Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 10. I'm not going to read it now. You can look it up if you like. Of course, uh, this this idea was that God through Moses told the people of Israel that if a man had a wife and the, and the Man died having not had any children with her, then that woman was to marry one of that man's brother or brothers or one of his closest relatives. And then that the child that she would have from that arrangement would be reckoned as to have to be carrying on the line of the deceased husband. Again, very strange for us, but it's what they did. And we see this happening in the book of Ruth. Uh, where um, both Naomi's uh, the, Ruth's mother-in-law and Ruth, their husbands their husbands had died, there was no children. And so Ruth ended up marrying Boaz to raise up children for that that line. Again, the, I know it's strange to us, but it's it's what God had commanded for the people to do. And so the Sadducees already rejected the idea of resu- of resurrection. As far as I understand, their rejection of the concept had a lot more to do with their place and position that they were trying to hold on to, not their openness to the truth. And so, committed to this idea that there was nothing after death, and committed to, also committed to that only the five books of the Bible were God's word, they found something in the books of Moses that to their minds, had contradicted any possibility of there being a a resurrection, and it's this idea that a woman has a husband, no children, another husband, no children, and so on. After se- seven husbands, no children, she dies too. And what's going to happen in the resurrection? Whose whose wife is she going to be because she had seven husbands? And and let's see what Jesus says. Uh, before I say that, they're trying to use logic on him. They think they see something and. And logic is a handy-dandy tool. But for logic to work, you have to have all the facts. And the Sadducees weren't willing to deal with all the facts. They rejected most of what we call the Bible, uh, the Old Testament in particular. And they just were not clued in. And we're going to see why they weren't clued in. Part of the problem, as i already said, is that they had a vested interest in not being clued in because they wanted things to be always the way they were. And the idea of transformation and change happening was out of the question as far as they were concerned. So they were simply close. We've seen this in the Gospel of Mark, where people were so wrapped up in their thing, in what they were already committed to, that they couldn't hear what Jesus was trying to teach them. We've got to learn this lesson. We've got to learn this lesson. We must be careful not to make the mistake that the Sadducees were making. Let's see what happens. Verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise and rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I want to stop there just for a second. So a lot of people get hung up here on Jesus' explanation of what happens in the resurrection, in what the Bible calls the age to come, and what life is like there. And what's it going to be like when somebody has had more than you know, one, more than one spouse for one reason or another what happens in the age to come that's not really the point the the point that he's trying to make is they don't understand the age to come at all and how could they understand the age to come they don't believe in it and and so by by going to this this passage about the kinsman redeemer they, they think they found something to to support uh their view but it's partly because they just don't understand what life is going to be like in the age to come. And frankly, most of us don't, except it's going to be absolutely marvelous beyond our comprehension, and also it's going to be real. It's going to be real life. But one of the things that seems it's not going to happen in the age to come when God makes all things new is the need for ongoing marriage and procreation, the having of children. It seems once all the people um, have been born when Jesus comes back, that's it. Now I don't want to say that absolutely because I don't really know how it works. I haven't experienced it yet, and I prefer not to to speculate. But that is, but his point isn't so much the details. It's the point that the Sadducees uh, did not. Uh, they knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God, and we're going to get back to that in a second. Verse twenty six. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the books, book of Moses, in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him, saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus, very nicely, points them back to the part of the Scriptures that they believe in and shows them that they're not even willing to accept what they're reading in that part of the Bible that they, are, that they say they're committed to. They're just plain closed. And when you're closed... When you've already made up your mind about something, even God can't get through. God, God, remember, God opposes the proud, and he's gracious to the humble. If we don't have humble hearts, and in a context like this, teachable hearts. If we don't have teachable hearts, we will not be teachable. How's that for logic? That makes sense, doesn't it? These were not teachable people. They thought they knew, and they were willing to fight for their viewpoint. Even if the facts of the matter were otherwise. I really don't want to be like this. God help me. God help us all. And exactly what Jesus means, uh, scholars discuss, Like, because I won't get into all, all of the details, but he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, sounds as if he's using the present tense, which is, could be what it is, that when he said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, he says, I still am the God of Abraham, and Abraham is with me. That's possible. Or it's the idea of the ongoing covenant to a people that is unending. So, of course, these people are still alive. I don't know how clear this is, but that doesn't bother me because his point is clear. The problem here is that they were clued out because they didn't know the scriptures or the power of God. That was the basis of their misunderstanding. Not knowing the scriptures... Or the power of God is the basis of all misunderstanding. You see, God is a God of transformation. The way things are is not the way that they're going to be. And so in one sense, we must never be satisfied with the status quo because God is is, is working to bring new things about that we haven't experienced yet. Now, there's a type of progress that the world is committed to that in many ways is a misguided progress. And most of it has to do with technological progress. There's also a social progress. We think we're so enlightened. You know, new is always better. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that. New is not always better. We're supposed to, I don't know the reference offhand, but is in the Hebrew prophets that you'll know, turn back to the ancient paths and walk in them. God has ways for us to live in. And for many of us, that would be really new to live according to God's ways, and instead of ignoring them. If we walk according to God's ways, we're going to experience newness, God's newness, because there's things that he wants to do today that that is is so different from how things are. And the only way to do things different from the how things are, is to be open to the God, the God who gives us the insight in how to live the way he wants us to live in a very confusing time. One of the traps that we fall into is so we we see people that are committed to progress. We call them progressives, and they're into these new things and new ways of doing things. And and, uh, we see Or believe what they're doing is is wrong and so we want to stand against some of that stuff and so we have the progressives and we have people called the conservatives conservatives want i don't mean the political party called the conservatives but an approach to life you know conservatism seeking to conserve the way things are or actually try to conserve the way things were so conservatives are also what we might call traditionalists and we're right to be concerned about some of these social developments that, that are occurring in our society because uh, the you know movements to, that are anti-family and, and the sexual revolution, this is not progress. And yet the righteous desire to resist these changes can get confused with a desire to resist all change. We think that if we just keep everything the way it is, then everything will be okay. But we forget that some of the reasons why things are bad is because of the way things are. It's because of the way we've been doing things have allowed things to become as bad as they are. We need to take some responsibility for not being the salt and light that God's called us to be that's allowed the world to be so dark and and to be decaying in the way that it is. We need to recover God's salt and light. We need to recover God's word. We need to be open and receptive to his power so that we can be the change agents that he wants us to be in this day. Some of us pray every day, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that because God's kingdom has not come in its fullness yet. There's much development that needs to take place, and God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for change, and when we pray that prayer, we need to be first be praying change for ourselves, that God's will would be done in us as it is in heaven, and then that we'd be able to live that out and become the godly change agents that God is calling us to be. And how do we become God's change agents by knowing the Scriptures and by knowing the power of God. It's not a knowing about the Scriptures. It's not um, knowing the Scriptures according to our particular tradition. The Scriptures have been put through so many faulty filters, and some of them are partly good, partly not so good, I would hope, given the tradition of of, of many of you watching this, would be open in the way that this original movement was formed, to reform and always be reforming. To not think that, okay, so a past generation, they got it wrong, they thought they got it right, now we fixed it all and we got it right, and failed to see how easy it is to fall into the same trap that the people were in who we corrected. We need to be open to the same kind of transformation that our forebears were open to. We need to know the scriptures and the power of God. I like to call the power of God the God dynamic, God at work. He's not far away just watching everything and and maybe now and again jumping in to do something. God's at work among us, with us and in us at all times, and we need to be aware of that. We need to understand what he's doing and what he wants to do. God doesn't just want everything to fall apart. He wants his kingdom to come, and he wants his kingdom to come through us until that day when the Lord returns and brings the big transformation forever. But until then, he wants us to be his change agents when we can't do it on our own. We can only do it while being full of God's power and allowing him to do the impossible in us and through us. And for that to happen, that's going to mean a lot of change, a lot of transformation. And I, I don't know about you, but I welcome that. I welcome his transformation power in my life personally and in my family and in my ministry and as a, a citizen of a country I want to see him make a difference in me and through me. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to do the same. It's one of the reasons why I started this Bible study Wednesday nights for now over Zoom so that we could learn to be open to what God is saying to us through his word and by the power of his spirit. I am committed. I am completely committed to transformation because the way things are and not just in our faith community, but throughout this country, they can't just stay like this. We need to see the power of God working in our midst and through our midst. It doesn't matter how young we are, how old we are, how smart we are, or educated. It doesn't matter. It's God wants to fill us and use us, but we need to know his word because, and I believe something big is coming in the power of God, but if we don't know his word, it's just so easy to go off the rails. God wants us to know his word and to be filled with his power. Let's pray. God, please come. We need you. Help us to be discontent, to be fed up with the way things are. The same old, same old. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our nearsightedness. Forgive us for our fears. Forgive us for our unbelief. And come and do a new thing in our midst. In us as individuals, in our families, in this congregation. Please, Lord, may we be people who know your word and know your power. In Jesus' name, amen. As usual, please, if you have any questions or comments, email me at pastorallsaintslutheran.ca. At also, please come and join us uh, Wednesday evenings for our new Bible study. Uh, if, uh, if I remember, I'll put the, the registration link in the description. If I forget to do that, please contact me. And so, until next time, may God bless you and your families. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.